One of the most Christmassy words is the word joy. After all, it's what the angels came proclaiming, right? It's the message that Luke tells us in Luke 2.10. The angel said, for behold, I bring good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So Mary rejoices, the shepherds have joy. For goodness sakes, John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, and we're told that he leaped for joy in her womb. Good news of great joy for all people. Christmas calls out joy. Christmas summons joy. Like, who doesn't want joy? But the irony is, is that especially this time of year, there are so many people struggling and having a difficult time. Here's one thing that I've learned about joy. That joy is a borrowed condition. Joy is a borrowed condition. It doesn't come from yourself. It's borrowed. It's appropriated on loan. So a huge piece of the conversation around joy centers on where do you find your joy? Where do you choose to take your joy from? So tonight, Christmas Eve, tomorrow is Christmas Day. We will end up tonight in the Gospels looking at the manger, baby Jesus. But first, to get there, we're going to do one last time traveling through the Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. So if you're new with us, welcome. We've been doing this for the last three weeks, four weeks, looking at the book of Habakkuk, this relatively obscure minor prophet in the history of Israel to see what he has to say and teach us. And I promise you Habakkuk chapter three, this prophet with a funny name has something to teach us all about Christmas joy. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn with me to Habakkuk chapter three. We're going to put the verses up on the screen, uh, and you can follow along with me as well. Habakkuk 3, verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I know several of you are guests and family tonight. You're picking up a conversation that we've been having for a few weeks. Let me catch you up to speed. It's a conversation between this prophet Habakkuk and God. And there's a little bit of a wrestling match going on between the two. We've been asking this question. What happens when God doesn't do what you want him to do? Ever had that happen to you? What happens when God doesn't do what you want to do? Or put another way, what happens when God does God kind of things in God's kind of way on God's kind of a schedule and you frankly don't like it? How do you respond? That's, that's what's happening in Habakkuk's life. When we first met the prophet Habakkuk, chapter one of Habakkuk opens up with him asking two questions of God. The first question is, how long, O Lord? How long? Because Habakkuk looks around at the land. He looks around at the culture around him. And he says, I see violence. I see oppression. How long, O Lord, will you put up with this? I feel like I'm crying out to you. 
to deal with what I see and I don't see anything getting fixed. How long, oh Lord? Sometimes we have that cry too. How long, God? Can you hear me, God? Are you going to move, Lord? Are you going to act or just put up with this forever? Well, fortunately for Habakkuk, he asks the question and God actually responds. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, oh, actually, I do see, I do know, I do hear, and I have a plan. I see the violence, and I'm going to deal with it. I'm raising up a nation called the Chaldeans. We know them as the Babylonians. And he said, they're going to come in and bring judgment, which, is, which causes Habakkuk to say, ew, yuck, why that? That, that, that's horrible. I don't like your plan. So at first he's frustrated that God won't act, and then God says, actually, I'm going to act, and he doesn't like what God's going to do. He says, you can't use evil, wicked people to judge wickedness. He has a hard time with God's plan. So this questioning has gone back and forth here now in chapter 3, as Habakkuk has been waiting Finally, he ends this back-and-forth conversation with a song. Chapter 3, verse 3 through 15. It's this Shigianoth, which is actually a a, a song. um, It's used elsewhere in the Psalms to describe a song that is actually upbeat, but it changes tempo, it changes rhythm, but it's meant to be a song of celebration. And Habakkuk then says, here's my song in response to the end of it all. Now, if I had more time, I would read verses 3 through 15, uh, but since it's Christmas Eve, uh, I'm not going to read it all. Let me, let me summarize the song. At, at first, Habakkuk says, God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I hear the challenges that you're putting forth in front of me. And then he goes into this other part of the song where, frankly, he recounts the Exodus story. So here, let me just kind of summarize it for you. Uh, Verse 3 of chapter 3, Taman is a large town in the country of Edom. Mount Paran is a nearby mountain. And so poetically speaking, as Habakkuk is singing and speaking, he is picturing God as the rising sun over his people as they leave the land of slavery in Egypt. In verse 4, he talks about God's glory being known like it was on Mount Sinai. In verse 5, he recalls plagues and pestilence. Just like in Egypt, remember the frogs and the boils and the hailstones and the river of blood and the death of the firstborn son. So he's he's retelling the Exodus story. Verse 7, God displaces the other nations and makes them tremble. Verse 8, God parts the waters like he did in the Exodus story. First, the Red Sea, but also the Jordan River. And though the Egyptians had their horses, God is pictured as having his own horse and a chariot of salvation. Verse 11, we start moving forward in history to the days of Joshua when the Lord made the sun stand still. In verse 12, God is seen as the victorious one marching through the land. So at the end of it all, at the end of this song that Habakkuk is singing back to God, he is declaring God to be the mighty warrior. And he said, God, I've heard from you now. I've heard your response. And I've heard 
about you. I remember the stories passed down through the ages. You remember the Exodus story when God delivered his people and God was the the mighty victorious warrior who came through and defeated their enemies. Habakkuk says, now Lord, do it again. That's what he says in verse two. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's saying, God, I know you've done this kind of thing before. God, I want you to do it again. God, please, won't you do it again? I need you to act like you have before in my day, in my time. God has already told Habakkuk to wait for it, to be patient. It's slow. But then Habakkuk says, in the midst of all that I've heard, I've heard from you, I've heard about you, I've heard the stories retold. But he also says, look at verse 16. Habakkuk 3.16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. So again, the song has these swings of emotion and change. And he's saying, God, I've heard of you. I've heard from you. I've heard about you. I've heard the stories of old. I want you to do it again. But he says, guess what? I still feel it. It doesn't help. It's not working. I'm having a hard time. And Habakkuk pours out his emotions in this most raw, unfiltered form. He says, when I hear what's going to happen, when I hear about your plan, he says, my body trembles. Literally, he says, my bowels tremble. My innards tremble. My lips quiver. Rottenness has entered my bones. My bones are rotten. My bones ache and decay. I can't get my legs to stop shaking. Like Habakkuk is having a head-to-toe visceral response to what God is revealing to him. He's like, I've heard about you. I've heard from you. I've heard of you. But I still can't handle it. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've heard the stories of God. Maybe you've heard other people tell their stories about God. Maybe you've heard from God in the past before. But right now what you're facing all of a sudden makes your body just quake and tremble and it feels like rottenness in your bones. I love Habakkuk's honesty here. He's like, God, I've heard all about you, but it's not helping. He says, I've heard from you, and I'm afraid. He says, I've heard about you, and I'm still a wreck. And, <laughs> and, second half of verse 16. Listen to how this book ends. This is the beautiful poetic part. End of verse 16, he says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed 
instruments. And now we see the book beginning to come together. It started with these questions of God, how long? Why that? God, where are you? What's happening? And he ends the the book, he ends the conversation declaring his trust in God. And Habakkuk is teaching us the biggest lesson of them all, learning to trust exclusively in the person of God. I can't underscore this enough. Pay attention to what Habakkuk is teaching us here because he is doing a great job of clarifying what he is and what he is not trusting in. First of all, Habakkuk says this. He says, I refuse to take joy from the voice of my feelings alone. Maybe you need to hear this tonight. He's already been more than clear maybe overly clear about his feeling, like TMI Habakkuk about the bowels. (laughs) He's like, I got rottenness in my bones. My legs are shaking. My lips are quivering. He's a wreck physically and emotionally. And he says that hasn't been solved. That hasn't been fixed. That hasn't magically gone away. And yet, even though my body is doing this thing and my emotions are out of control right now. I'm choosing to trust in you. Do you know how many people make a direct correlation between their feelings and their faith? And I want to let you in a little life hack is that trusting God doesn't always mean that you feel it. Oftentimes, we want to feel it first and then trust God. I don't want to overstate the point as though emotions are bad. Emotions are good. Emotions are God-given. Emotions matter. We're not called to stuff it or ignore it or spiritually bypass our emotions. Sometimes our, our emotions are signs and signals that our body's telling us to pay attention. Uh, one pastor, Rich Velotis, says that your body is a minor or excuse me, as a major, not a minor prophet. So pay attention. Sometimes your body knows things that you're catching up to figure out yourself. So pay attention to what you feel. But we're not going to center our feelings as being ultimate in our lives. Feelings are meant to be engaged, but they are not the ultimate thing that drive us. How often do I feel warm and fuzzy about taking out the trash? How often do I feel warm and fuzzy about serving my family and cleaning the kitchen? How often do I feel like getting up and exercising in the morning? Never. (laughs) How often does it feel good to swim upstream in a culture that has decided to push God out? How did Jesus feel in the garden in that moment when he was about ready to face death for himself. The Bible says that he had sorrow and angst and trouble and he sweat drops of blood. I could name person after person and story after story that we as a people of faith do not follow our feelings alone. We don't listen just to the voice of our feelings alone. We're being called to place our trust in the person and work of God. And then he, he, he makes this next step. He says, I refuse to take my joy simply from how I feel. 
But also, he says, I refuse to take joy from the vision of my circumstances alone. Did you, did you hear what he said? Though the fig tree should not blossom, though no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Every way you slice that, agriculturally, economically, personally, it's like my circumstances are bleak. Fig trees, fruit, produce, fields, flock. It's got nothing. My circumstances look horrible, but I'm not going to choose to live based on the vision of my circumstances alone. I'm not just going to chase my feelings, and I'm not just going to live based on what I see. Habakkuk says there's a better way. He says, I refuse to borrow joy from the fickle pieces of my life. My wife is a teacher at a local elementary school, dean of students to be more precise. But the day before winter break started, she texted me and said, man, the break room at school is loaded. It's loaded with cookies and all sorts of baked goods, donuts. It was this massive stockpile. Why? Because everyone was celebrating the last day before winter break. <laughs> Measuring their excitement in calories. So I got the text from my wife, like, man, the break room is loaded. And I, I was sitting at the, at the breakfast table. My son was across the room, and I read it to my son. Hey, hey, guess what? Mom says that the break room is just loaded. And his reply was classic. He says, well, in a few weeks... They will be in mourning because the break will be over and they have to go back to school and the countdown till spring break in April will begin. Wow. He's 17, he's caught on to how this works, right? It's like, yay, winter break, donuts, celebrate. And then guess what? In a few more weeks, those same teachers will be walking in sackcloth and ashes back to school for the long march till spring break. And, we, we, and it's not that you don't celebrate the good times, but the good times change, don't they? Some of us have the biggest letdown after Christmas. We have a Christmas hangover because Christmas is over. The presents are opened, and all the stuff that I thought was going to satisfy me didn't satisfy me, or I didn't get what I wanted. Circumstances are fickle. But that's the nature for all of us in life. Right? The young want to be old. The old want to be young. The poor want to be rich. The rich want lower taxes. The addict wants to be sober. The sober wants to numb out. The unemployed want a job. The employed want a vacation. The single person wants to be married. The married person want kids. The people with kids want time away from their kids. <laughs> those who are in high school want to get to college, and those who are in college want to get out and get a job. It goes on and on, all of which to say circumstances are fickle. They change. What do we want? Something else, always, something else. How much do we need? Just a little bit more. Like, what does this have to do with Christmas and the manger and baby Jesus? Did you see how Habakkuk ends his shigianoth, his little song? 
He says, I choose to place my trust not in the voice of my feelings and not in the vision of my circumstance, but rather, verse 18, right near the end of the book, Habakkuk stakes his claim, and he says, here's my claim, it's God. He says, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will take joy, not from how I feel. I'm not going to take joy from my circumstances. I'm going to take joy from God himself, who is my salvation. Now, friends, would you learn and listen to Habakkuk tonight? He's singing in the midst of it all, in this back and forth of crying out to God. He says at the end, I choose God. I take God. I want him. I'll have him. I can survive the quivering lip, and I can survive the shaky legs and the trembling bowels. I can survive the lack of food. I can survive the challenging income or commodities. Even though I don't like it, he says, I can survive the oncoming invasion. I can survive the Chaldean judgment. Feelings will come and go. Circumstances will come and go. Relationships will come and go. Jobs will come and go. Money will come and go. But I choose to take my joy from joy's source, and that is God. I choose to borrow joy from him. And that becomes the essence of our life. It becomes the essence of our story. This is the essence of our faith. And finding the one who will never leave us nor forsake us and finding the one who never will let us down and finding the only one who is faithful and true. He is the one who came in Jesus. He's enough. The life of faith is to make the choice to take joy in God above all else. Because you may take the circumstances away and my feelings are gonna keep doing the roller coaster ride that they often ride, but I will trust in God. What's interesting, tying this back to the Christmas story, back to the Gospels, is that conclusion for Habakkuk, that expression, that declaration, it's almost word for word for what Mary, the mother of Jesus, says in her Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. So Habakkuk, this is hundreds of years before, Habakkuk is singing his Shigianoth. Habakkuk is getting Shiggy with it. Shiggy enough, declaration, I choose to trust in God. Mary then, hundreds of years later, she is singing her Magnificat, Luke 1, 46 and 47. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Same phrase. Both name the idea of joy and both name God as Savior. My joy will come in the the God of my salvation. Author Walter Wengren writes this so beautifully. He says, from two sides of the promises of God, a man and a woman sing duet. He has heard the promise word and he believes it. She's been told of promise keeping and believes it. So no matter where you are on the timeline of history, looking back, looking forward, the one that we look at, the one that we look to is the God of our salvation. It is the God who saves. That's Jesus. That's what his name means. 
It's from the Hebrew name Joshua, Yahweh. God is our salvation. Jesus, the Lord is our salvation. So you may need tonight to borrow forward or borrow backward. You can look back to the manger and borrow the joy of the shepherds and Mary and all those who heard the good news of great joy for all the people. You can borrow backward their joy that God took on human flesh to dwell among us, to do what we could never do for ourselves. Your circumstances may be this today, but you can borrow back their joy. Or if you choose, you can borrow forward in joy to the day when he comes back again because the Lord who is our salvation didn't just come once the first time. He's coming back again to put the world to right, to rescue and restore that which has been lost. So maybe you need to borrow backward or maybe you need to borrow forward or maybe you need to borrow around the room tonight that maybe there's some joy that God has given to a brother or a sister next to you. We can borrow from one another the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. Listen, my friends, I don't know what the voice of your feelings tonight may be saying to you that it's over. You have no hope. You're too far gone. This thing is too messed up. There's no turning around. There's, it's always going to be this way. You're a loser. I don't know what the voice of your feelings may be speaking to you, and I don't know what you may be seeing in the vision of your circumstances that looks like life is falling apart and there is no hope around you. The Christ child has come to offer you life and life abundantly, to offer you his joy, to offer you his peace, to offer you his love to offer you his life. (laughs) One more thing about Habakkuk before we end tonight. It's a funky name, Habakkuk. Does anyone know what it means? Not joy, close. No, Habakkuk comes from the Akkadian language through the Hebrew, and it means to embrace or cling. And I find it an appropriate name of a prophet who wrestles through the uncertainty of it all and at the end of the day says, here's what I got, not my feelings, here's what I've got, not my circumstances, here's what I've got, the God of my salvation. I'm just going gonna, gonna to hang on there. I'm going to cling to him. I'm going to cling to that. And may that be the source of my joy in life today and always. May you come this Christmas like Habakkuk to cling to him. May we borrow joy tonight from the only one, the only source who will never let you down. If you are here tonight, family, friends, guests, and you have not for yourself come to experience the grace and love of Jesus, may you receive his invitation by faith tonight. May you turn from your sins and come and run to him he has come to us to set us free. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, King Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, King, Messiah, we praise you, Lord, tonight. What a gift. What a gift to come together yet again with these friends and family. What a gift again tonight to be reminded of the, of the shakiness of the ground that we walk on day after day and, and the foundation, this rock-solid foundation of, 
of hope, of joy that we have in Jesus. Lord, may we, may we take joy from you tonight. May we take hope from you tonight. May we receive again unconditional love from the Father through Jesus tonight. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that you would draw near. Thank you that you became flesh to dwell among us, that we may have your joy, your life, life abundantly and life eternally. So God, in the midst of all that's happening tonight and tomorrow, presents and parties and cookies and food, may we not miss you the God of our salvation. May we borrow all that is yours tonight by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.